We all grew up with urban legends. A man with a hook who preys on couples at Lover's Lane. A bridge where the dead will appear if you stop and turn off your headlights. A creature that lives in the woods and snacks on disobedient children in the night. And they're all just that. Legends. Until one day, you are out riding your bike and faced with a young girl, covered in blood and stabbed nearly to death, dragging herself out of the woods. My name is M. William Phelps. I'm an investigative journalist and true crime author. I've dedicated the past 20 years of my life to helping families of the missing and murdered. Join me. We're crossing the line. You might have read articles or seen hokey teen movies about Slenderman. A preternaturally tall, faceless apparition wearing a dark suit who creeps out of the woods to abduct or harm kids. But there's a real crime attached to this particular urban legend, as well as important recent developments in the story. This week's case is important to cover on many different levels. It's one of those true crime stories that might at first make you roll your eyes, something that sounds maybe vaguely familiar, but you're not quite sure about the details of what actually happened. Well, lucky you, because I'm going to sort it all out this week. So let's jump right in with the incredible 911 call that turned myth into reality. So is, are you with this 12-year-old female? Yeah, she says she's having trouble breathing. She said she was stabbed multiple times. Stabbed multiple times? Yes. Okay, sir, are you with her right now? Yes. Is she awake? She's awake. Is she um, breathing? Yeah, she's breathing. She said she can take shallow breaths. She's alert. Okay, stay with her. We're sending... It's May 2014 in Waukesha, Wisconsin. 12-year-old Morgan Geyser has allowed two friends over to her house to celebrate her birthday. It seems like an average preteen birthday celebration is about to go down. An innocent slumber party. Morgan invites her best friend, Anissa Wire, and another classmate she's known for years, Peyton Leitner, who everyone in school calls Bella. They're both 12 years old as well. It's slated to be a night of girly girl fun with one violent catch. Anissa and Morgan have decided that at some point during the sleepover, they're going to murder Peyton. I mean, you heard that right. They plan to murder their friend. For about five months leading up to the sleepover, the two girls discuss the murder. They plan it. They are convinced this is what they are supposed to do in the name of paying homage to a fictional character they believe to be real, Slenderman, a made-up character they've become obsessed with after reading about him online. You know, and you got to love the interweb. It's just so good for the young, inquiring minds of today. They can get on, they can find whatever they want. Slenderman is a meme created by Eric Knudsen and 2009 in what was called the, quote, something awful forum on an internet website I refuse to give the name of. Knudsen created an image of Slenderman, and this is a humanoid creature with a featureless white face, long, stringing arms and legs. The backstory of the fictional character has him stalking and abducting children, traumatizing them in terribly awful ways. To make the image more realistic, Knudsen paired it with quotes, seemingly from those who'd encountered him. And here's one. We didn't want to go. We didn't want to kill them. But its persistent silence and outstretched arms horrified and comforted us at the same time. So this is labeled 1983, photographer unknown, presumed dead. And then this one, quote, One of two recovered photographs from the Sterling City Library blaze, notable for being taken the day which 14 children vanished and for what is referred to as the Slender Man. Fire at the library occurred one week later, actual photograph confiscated as evidence. And this one's labeled 1986, photographer Mary Thomas 
missing since June 13, 1986. In reality, Slender Man is nothing but a creepypasta, an internet creation that, over time, became an urban legend, with people spreading stories of seeing him out in the world. You know how it goes. You tell a story long enough, you're going to get a following. People love to scare one another. I mean, that's part of being human. Kids are easily sucked in and fooled. I don't think anyone would argue with me that a 12-year-old is not yet old enough to always know what's real and what's not when it comes to a well-crafted fable. For that, you've got to wait until your frontal lobe is at least finished developing. The three girls hang out that night as preteens might. Movies, candy, staying up too late, talking, telling stories. Anissa and Morgan have decided that they want to kill Peyton. Kill. Murder. In the middle of the night. But then make a decision not to because they're too tired. The next day, after the slumber party, Geyser and Anissa tell Peyton they want to go for a walk in a nearby park to play hide and seek. I mean... The details of the story, can it get any more innocent than that age-old children's game, hide-and-seek? This is really, for me, where I see the intersection of this childhood and adulthood in this story. I mean, when you're 12, you're in this really weird spot. You're, like, kind of a kid, but you're, like, going through puberty. You're interested in some adult things, but you're still, like, very much a child. Absolutely. Yeah, I actually had a psychology professor in college who said that studies of the brains of people in middle school, of kids in middle school, have the same wavelengths and look the same on what, like a CT scanner, as the minds of the criminally insane. So that's Catherine, my producer, and she makes an excellent point. So Anissa and Morgan believe, or have convinced themselves, I should say, that they are proxies or, quote, servants of Slender Man, that they need to do whatever it is they are told or bad things will happen to them or their family members. This is in their head. This is what they believe. This is what they've read. They are convinced of it. Anissa says that Morgan came to her after they became obsessed with Slender Man and suggested they become proxies. Anissa then asked how they go about doing that what the initiation might entail, in other words. Let's listen to the police interrogation of Anissa Wire, a sixth grader, mind you. Keep that in mind here. An interview you will hear throughout the rest of this episode. And so let's hear Anissa explain how this begins to unfold. And a proxy again, what is a proxy? It's like um, a servant or like an apprentice. Okay, and they're uh, a servant of who? The, um, whichever, um, I mean, they kind of don't have a choice. Slender's like the really big, um, he's the like head of it all, supposedly. Okay, so Slender's the big guy. Yeah. The top guy. And the proxies uh, are his puppets. Yes, that's how people put puppets. Oh, okay. Puppets. You can hear how excited Anissa becomes when she hears this pedestrian description of the situation. Disturbingly, she goes on to talk about how, on this website, the kids are proxies or apprentices to the killers, who are their leaders, if you will. Here they are on a website, scrolling around, becoming indoctrinated into what is essentially a world where they are beginning to be unable to decipher fact from fiction, right from wrong. And the killers have the proxy to do it for them? Uh, no. Okay. They're like, either killers or proxies? Well, some, yeah. Uh, okay. I don't know that much about <laughs> proxies and all that. Okay. I just know what the internet has told me. Okay. So the internet has told you that Slender has a bunch of proxies, mm-hmm. a bunch of puppets. Yes. And amongst these puppets, there are also killers? Yes, ma'am. Okay, so proxies or puppets... I just know what the internet tells me. My God, do we need to hear anything more than that? I just know what the internet tells me. So it must be true. Isn't that what she's saying there? Anissa speaks during this police interview with an articulate understanding 
of the entire world Slender Man overseas. It's, it's kind of baffling, really, how much detail she recalls. And yet, when she's asked if she knew what Miranda rights were earlier in the same interview, she doesn't have a clue. I find that amazing and clarifying at the same time, telling me where children today are getting their education about life. Not from cops. <laughs> not from cops or not even from television. I mean, that's the point right. I was trying to make was she's not even watching Law and Order or something. I mean, she, you know, she's just on the Internet getting that sponge of her brain is just soaking everything up as fact. And it's also just not complete information out there on the internet. Right. Like if you're on one website, you're getting the, just that part of the story, right. not like the complete human existence that you might see on television, in books. It's not objective. Right, right, right. The detective asks Anissa how it came about that she and Morgan became proxies. Anissa says Morgan told her they'd kill Bella. That's Peyton's nickname, if you recall. So killing Peyton would prove themselves worthy to Slenderman. So basically, they're like the Aztecs. They're offering up this sacrifice to Slenderman in the form of Peyton, right? Yeah. What you said earlier about the fact that they thought that if they didn't do this, Slenderman would come kill their families or whatever. Yeah, they, they are in fear that something's going to happen to them or their families. Mm-hmm. You know, this case reminds me in some ways of a case I wrote about. And if we are talking about frontal lobe brain development, as we mentioned earlier, there is little difference between a 12-year-old and an 18-year-old other than maybe life experience in, in that respect. In that book, I interviewed an 18-year-old at length. I have no doubt he was convinced he lived in an alternate universe in which several evil figures he could hear, talk to him, told him what to do and when to do it. And there is no doubt in my mind that he experienced this. He ultimately stabbed a man, the father of a girl who had convinced him he needed to prove himself within this world she had created and was, quote, the underlord of. The boy, I'll call him a boy, I mean, he's 18, so he's on the cusp. The boy believed he was a vampire who needed blood to survive. And he spoke to his voices most of the day, and they reiterated that he needed to do this. So what he did was, he went to the house one night when the dad was home alone. The dad was cooking, and he plunged a machete into the guy dozens of times. And and one fact I recall him telling me, and... I do have the tapes of these interviews, which I'm probably going to do a Crossing the Line episode about because they're very, very telling. At one point, he tells me, the guy was cooking when I walked into the house. At one point, blood splashed into the hot pan. I smelled it cooking, and it just made me want to stab him more. What? I mention this because whenever I step into a case like Slender Man, I am aware that the mind, the very young mind, is a fragile malleable thing one can manipulate and control. You add some mental illness into the mix, which was relevant in the case I wrote about, and you have an extremely naive, susceptible sponge easily able to soak up whatever is placed in front of it. And as we'll see in the Slenderman case, all of this will come into play as it moves into 2021 and 2022 this year. For now, let's go back to Anissa's version of what happened. Catherine, can you just please cue up that next clip for me? Got it. So you you said, okay, well, how do we do that? And she said, well, we have to kill Bella, meaning Peyton. Yes, people call her Bella. Anissa says she was surprised by the request, but also excited by the prospect because she wanted proof, proof that Slender Man actually existed. When pressed by the female detective to acknowledge whether she thought that murdering their friend was a genuine, real request, she says yes. She knew it was real. She then talks about a character called Jeff the Killer. I mean, can there be any more uh, ridiculous name than Jeff the Killer? (laughs) From the same website. Anissa encourages the detective to go online and Google, quote, his name, and newspaper articles. So I did this just to see what came up. And it's pretty easy for me as a person in her 30s to tell that it's fake news. So the drawings and 
photos of this person. He kind of looks like a cross between Jigsaw from the Saw movies and the Joker from Batman. So spot on. Right? It's like it's very cartoony. To me, I was just like, well, this is obviously fake. The layout for a newspaper article is wrong. There are run-on sentences right in the beginning of the article. It's the wrong font for a newspaper. It's just like a font that no newspaper would ever use. It's maybe a little too modern. But then again, like, I grew up looking at actual newspapers. How many 12-year-olds today have seen a newspaper? And remember this important fact. When they go into this website to look at this newspaper article, they want to believe it. I mean, you and I can see immediately the articles are fake, but to Anissa and Morgan, these articles are the real thing. Anissa says a young kid, Jeff Woods, Jeff the Killer, had slain his entire family and disappeared. The girls saw this as legit evidence of what needed to be done in order for them to fall in line with Slenderman. How could they serve Slenderman? This article reinforces their belief. Anissa even tells the detective how she and Jeff Woods, Jeff the Killer, look alike. And then this. Did you think that you guys killed Bella? Yeah. Um, I... But first, Morgan said I should do it and that she didn't know what to do. So I hand, and I, so I handed her the knife that she brought with and um, said, you do it, I'm too squeamish. So with that, let's take a short break here and come right back. You know, I think there's a certain part of us all that wants to just write off kids who commit horrible acts of violence. And what I mean by that is, you know, maybe we want to blame the parents or just shake our heads and say, WTF, you know? I mean, if Peyton is my daughter, I would want to see the two girls who planned her murder pay dearly for what they did. When I step into the role of my work, however, I try to look at things from the perspective of the mind how pliable and susceptible it is to being manipulated, especially when talking about kids and how that dynamic works within cases of violent crime. I want to learn from tragedy. I want to spread awareness. I want victims of crime to have a voice. So that all being said, let's see how the Slender Man case progresses from here. She got the knife from her house. We asked her mom if we could play outside and her at the park and her mom said sure so we went playing at the park and then i said hey why don't we go take a wild walk so we walked and then there was this grove of trees that we went into and then we were trying to play hide and seek in the trees to like distract her so morgan and i were also debating um who does the deed and um at first it was me, but like I said, I was too squeamish and said, no, you do it. So, um, Morgan said, whenever you want. So, like, I finally just had enough and said it now, because I was starting to get a little freaked out. And then Morgan jumped on top of Bella and started stabbing her repeatedly, and that's when I turned around, because I couldn't stand to see that. For me, it's just hard on the heart and the soul to hear that. Quote, Morgan stabbed her repeatedly. It's really surreal. The matter-of-fact way in which Anissa describes such a violent act with the intention of, remember, one purpose, to kill the girl. That's the goal. They set out to kill this girl. It's not until Anissa begins to talk about Peyton's response that any emotion whatsoever becomes part of her retelling of this. The whole time, Peyton was screaming in agony. (sighs) Saying stuff like, I hate you guys, I'll never forgive you, and I trusted you. Still, and oh, sorry. So we told her we were going to get help, but we really weren't. We were going to run and let her 
pass away. So we ran. Um, we they had no ran. idea if Peyton was dead, but they presumed she was. They ran and wound up in a marshy, woody area of the park and then crossed the street and found a campsite. Now, earlier in this interrogation, Anissa says that as they were running away from the stabbing out of the corner of her eye, she believes she saw Slender Man. This was very real for them. They'd gotten an order from their master and they'd obeyed and delivered. Going through with the stabbing and then seeing Slender Man approve, in other words, demonstrated to them that Slender Man was with them all the way through the violence. Now, you're hearing the same interviews that I'm talking about, so you can hear the sincerity in her voice, really. It's there. From the woods, they headed to Walmart. Of course. <laughs> Where else do you go after trying to kill your friend? Yeah, uh, let's go to Walmart. So they, they use the bathroom at Walmart and they fill their water bottles. They walk for about an hour afterward. Anissa's hot, so they stop to take a break in a cemetery. <laughs> Hydrate, then walk some more. In downtown Waukesha, they mosey around until Anissa says Morgan, reading it on her phone, discovers that Slender Man has a large mansion where all the creepy figures from that website kind of reside. You know, like a killer's lair, I guess you could call it. It's located in Nicolette National Park in northern Wisconsin. Look, the mansion is 260 miles. I, I googled it. It's an 85-hour walk <laughs> from where they are. So again, this is where I say that the age of the girls in their developing minds comes into play. Because they decide they're going to walk the entire way to the mansion to be with their leader and other killers. Meanwhile, Peyton, Bella has managed to get up on her feet, grab a cane-like stick, and use it to crawl out of the woods. It's not long before a cyclist spots her and calls for help. And as she is rushed to the hospital, dying, losing blood, police in helicopters and on foot with dogs begin searching for her attackers. After hours of surgery, thank God, Peyton survives the attack. Anissa and Morgan are still trucking along toward northern Wisconsin. Okay, they're walking the 260 miles. Rather than ask for a ride, as I said, they have chosen to walk. But here's why. But if we ask someone for um, directions or anything, we would, the police would probably be called because what isn't strange about a blonde girl with creepy eyes walking around with a blood-covered jacket. Mm. And then a girl next to her looking like this, mm. wearing winter boots. Yeah. So we just kept walking. And then they clearly understand what they did was wrong, and they do not want to get caught for it. I think that's an important fact here. They know there will be consequences for their actions. Again, that's important here. It feels to me, listening to Anissa's version of what happened, that she followed Morgan's lead from conception of the crime to the actual act to creating a plan afterward. Anissa then talks about trying to eat a granola bar and not being able to. Listen. I only took one bite of that, but I spit it out because I didn't feel so good. I really couldn't eat anything because I was still thinking of Bella Lake in the forest area where we left her dying. There's some emotion there as, once again, she talks about Peyton and what they did. So we were walking and then I had a total nervous breakdown and blamed Morgan for everything. I said, you stabbed her. You wanted to do this. Look at what Morgan did. And Morgan's not one to cry very often. Mm -hmm. And then finally she just let go and started crying. And then I just needed to vent because I was scared. Mm -hmm. I was scared. And I was scared A for myself and B for my family because um, after... We left Peyton 
in the woods, um, close to the marshy area that that one's nearby. She said, oh, and there was one thing I forgot to tell you. I kind of sort of made a deal with Slender saying that if I didn't, saying that if we didn't kill uh, Bella, that he would, he was either would or could kill our families and everything we love. And I don't want that to happen, so that's why I did this. Morgan apparently has cut a deal with the devil, and both her and Anissa are freaking out thinking that they have no idea if Peyton is alive or dead, or if Slenderman will now kill their families. Right, because I guess if they didn't succeed, then they're still on the hook. Right. That's a great observation. This is what they're worried about. This is, mm-hmm. this is big for them. They're under threat. But it also, again, tells me that they understand consequences. They understand that they've done something right. and they understand there's consequences. If you're insane, if you're criminally insane, as you mentioned earlier, insanity, mm-hmm. you're not thinking about consequences. You're just, just stabbing, you know, right. stripping naked in the park, whatever you're doing. And you don't have one thought about what's going to happen after. Here, they have thoughts about before, during, and after. Right. In the real world and, as you point out, in the Slender Man world. As they walk, the mansion plan begins to unravel. You think? Anissa is getting cold, she says, and tired. She tells Morgan she wants to call her mother and go home. Now she's sounding like a kid. Right? Right. Give up. She wants to give up. Morgan, she claims, tells her that she'll spend the rest of her life in prison or be executed if she does that. There's the reality that they know what they did the possible ramifications, and how wrong it is. In the name of Slenderman, under his direction or not, they are aware of potential punishments and repercussions of their actions. And I can't stress how important that is for me as the criminal guy, not as the dad or the you know onlooker, but as the criminal guy. As they come upon an area along the freeway by a river, they find some high grass and decide to sit. And, you know, again, as a parent, my first thought is, oh, the ticks that are going to be in that grass. That was my first thought when I read that. Yeah, I mean, I've been to Waukesha. I've been to northern Wisconsin. Like, I know these areas. We used to go every summer. And, like, I would not want to be walking along these freeways. The other thing I want to point out that I'm just realizing is that these are two 12-year-olds walking along a freeway for miles and miles and miles. And not one person stops to be like, hey. You guys need any help? You need a ride? Right. Morgan, Anissa says, begins to wonder whether they should turn themselves in and, quote, face the consequences or keep walking. But by now, it's too late to make that choice. So then I laid down on the grass, and that's when one of the deputies said, put your hands in the air where I can see them, and then they got us. Okay. I went up... I was, when one of the deputies was talking to me, at least his first name was Todd. Okay. And his left name started with a C, I think. Okay. When he started talking to me, I said, I'm scared. I was told, I was told that if I didn't do something for someone, my family would be in danger. And then he said, you're safe now. Don't be scared. Then he put me in the back of the car. And then I washed Morgan. I don't know what they said to her because I couldn't hear anything. Right. And then after like 30 minutes, they brought us here. Okay. Okay. Okay, now, during this interview, the narrative is now in place for this detective. So what she does is pull up a chair in front of Anissa, who's now wrapped up in a blanket, and the detective now starts asking questions. When Morgan said to you, that if, if we don't do this for Slender, um, our families are and loved ones are going to be killed. Do you honestly believe that? Well, yeah, because he can be anywhere from 6 feet to 14 feet tall. He's, like I said, a tall guy who constantly wears a suit with a red tie. Um, he doesn't have a face. His skin is white. And um, at his own will, he can, um, like, exploit these tendrils from his back. And, uh, like, 
Strangle his victims. From what the creepypasta wiki said, he targets children most. Okay. So I was really scared knowing that Slender could easily kill my whole family in three seconds. As the interview progresses, we learn that Anissa had discovered the world of these fictional creepy characters targeting children on YouTube. From there, she went on the website and turned her friend Morgan onto it. So we've seen over the years people blame behaviors like this on things like video games, on reading books, on listening to heavy metal music. And in this case, it's YouTube. And I think it makes a difference where those things are coming from. But I mean, like when I was a kid, like I loved scary stories. I loved things like X-Files. I read scary stories to tell in the dark. I actually asked for whoever fights monsters for Christmas when I was 13. I was reading about all this shit when I was their age. I think, though, to push back a little bit on you, which I generally Mm -hmm. don't do, I've noticed, um, (laughs) (laughs) is all of that stuff you just described. You know, I'm I'm a lot older than you, maybe not a lot, but I'm older than you. And and, and I did the same. I read that stuff, you know. Okay. But I knew that that stuff was fantasy. Yeah. When you start navigating through the world of YouTube, you're not sure really, right? You can you can be tricked. Mm-hmm. They were designed to trick. So I get the whole Tipper Gore argument with parental guidance and all of that. I, you know, I get that. And I'm totally against, you know, blaming heavy metal music and video games on anything because you turn on a video game, you know damn right. well that's a game. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, that's a really good point. And Ozzy Osbourne is not going to make me commit suicide, even if you listen to him backwards. But when we get onto YouTube and the internet, it's a different world. I believe that because you have people out there, and you know, look, I'm not putting them down either. Creating these fictional worlds that make them look real, and look, that's their thing. I get it, but there needs to be some guidance. I, I think there needs to be some control of this for kids. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. But like, I think about this all the time. These videos on TikTok, there are so many TikTok videos that I'm like, if you're a kid, you don't understand that that's Facetune or you don't understand right. that someone doctored that video. Right. It's not really a hawk flying away with a turtle in its claws. Right. It's clearly right. CGI or it's clearly like someone did that in Photoshop, but they don't understand that. That is so, so, so important to say it. Yeah. I mean, I, I. I don't just, I look at where the world is going and it's disturbing to me, you know, with all of this stuff. I mean, here we have the detective starts to press Anissa about some of the questions we just discussed. You know, do you believe Slender Man is real? Anissa says she did up until that moment, which is, mind you, hours after the crime has been committed. She no longer believes he's real because she and Morgan, in their moment of need while walking north, called out for Slender Man's help, and he never appeared. So now she believes he's not real anymore. So listen to this. Uh, Morgan said, Slender, if you're listening, please help us. And he says, having a nervous breakdown. And um, then she started kind of crying. But you truly believe before? before yeah, before you, I believed. But now I know that it's just teenagers. Really like scaring people and making them believe false things. When when you were planning this, uh, the the birthday party and everything, was this thought in mind to yeah, to um, do this to Morgan? Morgan said that um, at her birthday party, while Bella was sleeping, we were gonna. Um, Um, this 
It's chilling, that last exchange, how nonchalantly Anissa talks about attempting to murder a classmate, a friend. How casually she describes that they were just too sleepy to kill her as she slept the previous night. That exchange is almost as surreal and unreal as Slender Man. I mean, two 12-year-olds planned a murder right. and carried it out. Right. They weren't successful, but they carried it out. All under the shelter, under the guise of parents. And I'm not blaming the parents. That's not what I'm doing. I'm just saying, Mm -hmm. yeah, we got to know what our kids are looking at, I guess. Right. Parents in general. Let's take a very short break here and come right back. Morgan is interviewed by the Waukesha police at the same time Anissa is being interviewed. In her interview, she tells police, quote, I didn't want to do this. I was afraid of what would happen if I didn't. I didn't want to find out what would happen if we didn't do it. Morgan goes on to say that Bella, as she calls her, Peyton Leitner, was her, quote, only friend for a long time. She has been my best friend since the fourth grade. Inside Morgan's bedroom, notebooks with pages of Slenderman drawings and other items are found after a search. And look, we just got done discussing this about supervision. Police also uncover several disfigured Barbie dolls with areas on the doll's skin marked with a Sharpie to indicate cuts to be made on an intended victim. This is in her bedroom. The notebook includes a page of, quote, supplies necessary for the presumed murder. Quote, pepper spray, map of force, camera, weapons, kitchen knife, flashlights, and then a note, the will to live. I would say because they're 12, they don't know not to leave a list of murder items in their bedroom. But we right. all have heard many stories of serial killers who have the same thing, who are adult men. So For, for me, the big thing here is the Barbie dolls, yes. the disfigured Barbie dolls, because I, I've interviewed serial killers who have these types of things, not Barbie dolls, but different types of mannequins right. and stuff that they use to... Literally practice on. Oh. Yeah. So when I see disfigured Barbie dolls with areas on the doll skin marked with a Sharpie to indicate cuts to kill someone, that's alarming. That says a lot about the mind who who did that. It really does. The other part of the Barbie is the irony in it all, right? From a symbol of pure adolescent childhood fun to evil, to violence. Mm Mm-hmm. It's almost like a metaphor for our times, you know? Mm-hmm. As the detective and Anissa get into more of the specifics of what transpired, premeditation and planning become emphatically clear. This was not spur of the moment, trolling the internet one day and then attacking Peyton the next. This was well thought out and meticulously planned. Listen to this. As far as the party... Um the party was planned, was it planned for quite a while? Like, you get what you yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And when was it planned that you were going to kill uh, Bella? Was it planned right away when you, were planning, when you guys were planning the birthday party? Or? No. Morgan said um, around the end of December, beginning of January, um, again, the hey, I don't know how we can become proxies. We have to kill Bella. Okay. Um, so I said, and then... Um, after I was wondering when, and so I asked her when, and she's just like, oh, every year that my mom said that for my birthday, I can have two friends over, and it's definitely going to be a sleepover. As they move into the actual attack, Anissa talks about how best to kill someone. She doesn't want to look in their eyes. So she and Morgan discuss options, and they come up with a plan to knock Peyton out and then stab her to death. Anissa explains how Peyton was sitting up against a concrete wall at one point that morning, so Anissa used her fists and struck Peyton in the forehead to try and knock her out against the concrete wall, but it wasn't enough. Peyton was like, what are you doing? 
I mean, the last thing on her mind is you're about to kill me. I mean, she's just like, Completely. what the hell came over you? What are you doing? You know, it was then that they took a walk deep into the woods. Anissa whispers to Morgan as they walk. That's where you can do the deed. After we go into the woods, we say we're going to play a hide and seek. And Morgan is going to be a seeker. So we hide. I tell Bella to lay down face first in the dirt. Um, like, so you suggested her stomach? Okay. You know, so you suggested to take a walk around the block and, and you pointed out the woods to Morgan, Morgan and said, we could do the deed there. Okay. And then um, she says, I'm not laying on my stomach in dirt. It's all squishy and there are twigs and sharp rocks everywhere. So you're going to play hide and seek, right? Mm -hmm. Play hide and seek. And then she was supposed to be the seeker. So to keep her eyes from being the see where you guys ran, you wanted her to lay down in the dirt? No, Morgan was the seeker and oh. Bella and I were hiding. Okay, so you told her to, a place to hide. Mm -hmm. and, and why did you want her to lay down in the dirt? So that I could sit on her chest and, and so that I could pin her down and get it done and over with, and then we could leave. You're gonna, you're gonna pin her down. Mm-hmm. Morgan told me to pin her down. Okay. And so like, I kind of. She said no, so I kind of pushed her forward and sat on her um, hip. And then she said, ow, I can't breathe, ow, ow, ow. So then I got off because she was making a lot of noise. Was she kneeling or something? Anissa then begins to act this part out in the interrogation room. Peyton wouldn't comply, and it was getting difficult to get her to lie down so Anissa could contain her. Okay, and what happened next? And then I told Morgan that she's not laying down. And then she said, tackle her and I'll stab her. There was some discussion between the two girls about who was going to stab Peyton. Morgan gave Anissa the knife and told her to do it. Because Anissa knew where all the soft spots on the body were, meaning the best places to stab in order to inflict the deadliest blows. Anissa gives her the knife back and says, go ballistic. Morgan responds, I'll go ballistic whenever you want me to. So if there was ever a leader-follower context to this between them, that's clearly gone now. They are in this together 100%. You want me to. I told her that I didn't care when she did it. And she said, whatever. So I started walking away. And then like when I was five feet away, I said now. And Morgan said... Don't be afraid, I'm only a little kitty cat, and uh, jumped on top of Bella and stabbed her repeatedly. Okay. Like, she told me that she got her in the lung, right here, six times, and then like in the leg a few times. Okay. And then she was like, she walked away covered in blood, and then Peyton started screaming, I trusted you, I hate you all. And then I told her to lay down and be quiet because I didn't want attention being drawn. So I said, lay down and be quiet, you'll lose blood slower. So then she laid down. Maria tried to clean her wounds with Elise. Did she try to get up? Yeah, she tried to get up. She said that she couldn't see, she couldn't walk, and that she couldn't breathe. Maria Payton was saying this? Yes. So after Morgan stabbed Peyton, did Morgan just get off of her and walk, start walking away, or? Um, Morgan got off of her when I turned around, and Peyton was wobbling around, um, holding up trees, saying, I hate you, get help. Okay. And um, I, that's when I told her to lay down and be quiet, you'll lose blood fat slower. Okay. But really, you just wanted her not to draw attention? Mm-hmm. Okay. So then, um, was when 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 Peyton was being stabbed, was she laying on the ground or? Morgan pushed her to the ground, face first, mm -hmm. and went ballistic. That last quote—it's truly incredible to hear this. These are twelve-year-old kids. I need to say this again: they're not even teenagers. 
Let's take a break here and come back for the conclusion of this terrible, terrible ordeal and the unforeseen twists that have taken place just within the past six months. In Morgan's interview taking place inside the other room at the Waukesha PD, she's asked what she was attempting to do when she stabbed Peyton. Kill her, Morgan tells the detectives. I might as well just say it. We were trying to kill her. Damn. But there's one more part of this interrogation I want you to hear. Because remember, they are kids. So a huge decision the court has to make is ultimately whether or not they're charged with attempted homicide, among other things, as adults. That is an option on the table in this case, to charge two 12-year-olds as adults. Can I ask a question? Yes. Where are Bella's body now? Bella's at the hospital. Okay. Um, I thought it was still out there. In a crime scene. Did you think that she died? Yeah. She is alive. Okay. How does that make you feel? It makes me feel kind of happy. Kind of worried that I'm just scared all around. What are you worried about? I know she'll never trust me again and that she hates my guts. By the end of the following day, Morgan and Anissa are charged as adults with first-degree attempted homicide. Those are serious charges. Within three months, after hearing testimony from two psychological experts, a judge rules that Morgan Geyser is incompetent to stand trial and suspends the prosecution. Anissa Wire then undergoes a psych evaluation in September 2014, the next month, and it's pretty clear she'll get the same ruling. Meanwhile, Peyton, the victim, still recovering, grants an interview to ABC's 2020. She had not yet spoken publicly about what happened. Peyton looks good and sounds good. She says that Morgan really changed when she met Anissa the year before the attack, and she didn't want to hang out with Morgan much anymore after that. The two of them started talking about Slender Man to her and all that dark stuff they were scrolling around for on the internet, and she didn't like it. She wanted nothing to do with it. You know, and this points something out to me, that some kids gravitate toward this stuff while others retreat and run from it. Just like the kind of kids who wind up loving true crime. Exactly. And the kind of kids who end up running from it as far as they can. (laughs) I think that's one of the fallacies attached to the true crime audience. I'm doing a bit of study on this topic as we speak. More about it in future episodes of Crossing the Line, I promise. As for the attack, Peyton doesn't recall a lot of it. But what she does recall backs up Anissa's version, which means Anissa is telling the truth. An incredible part of the 2020 segment was an interview with Peyton's doctor who said that had one of the wounds near Peyton's heart gone the width of a human hair any further, a human hair, Peyton would have died. In addition, the 2020 interview exposed that Morgan's father suffers from schizophrenia and that Morgan had begun to show signs of it herself, but nobody did anything about it. So the child was never treated. Then a shocker. In the case, in December 2014, a county circuit judge stepped in and ruled that both girls understood the charges against them and were able to aid in their own defense, meaning they could be tried as adults. Then there's this long battle between the lawyers to get the case kicked out of adult court and sent back into juvenile court. It takes years. Both girls are in psychiatric hospitals while they await the answer. And by 2016, both agree to plead out their cases. Anissa Wire pleads guilty to a lesser charge by a jury a year later in 2017 and is found not guilty by mental disease or defect. Morgan Geyser pleads guilty to the first-degree attempted homicide charges against her. In 2018, as part of her plea agreement with prosecutors, Morgan was convicted but also found not guilty by reason of mental disease or defect. 
Anissa is then committed or sentenced to 25 years in Winnebago Mental Health Institute. Morgan is committed to 40 years. Of course, both girls' legal teams appeal the rulings and sentences, and a second court battle ensues. Anissa focuses on getting the court to grant her conditional release, while Morgan awaits her appeal, which is eventually denied. Morgan's case goes all the way up to the state Supreme Court and is again denied. Four years later, in July 2021, the court grants Anissa's conditional release. In September, that decision is confirmed. On September 13, 2021, Anissa, now 19 years old, walks out of that mental health facility a free woman. Morgan is still serving out her sentence. Peyton and her family released a statement saying they wish Anissa served longer in the facility and are scared of what she might do now that she is out. Peyton has since left Waukesha for college. I have to ask this question, and maybe for not, but would this crime have taken place if it had not been for the internet? I mean, on the one hand, I think no, because... They created this story in their mind about why they needed to attack their friend and try to kill their friend. You could almost even say they had faith. It's sort of like this blind faith that they had to follow Slender Man. That's, you know, that's that's something. That's something to think about. You know, I, I'm not just jumping on the internet here. The question isn't asked to blame. I reckon the answer doesn't really matter. What matters to me is that as a crime guy, I need to realize there are new ways in which people are influenced. That's, that's what I look at. Mm-hmm. And murder becomes a solution to a problem for some people. And murder is evolving. And us students of true crime, we have to evolve with it. We have to think about this stuff. It's out there. That's it for this week. And I just want to thank Rose Bocci, my producer, for writing the first couple drafts of this script. I'll be back here next week with another case. So be safe, be aware, as always. Sources for today's episode come from Waukesha Police Department interrogation videotape of Anissa Meyer, Second Girl in Slenderman Case Challenges Confession, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel by Bruce Vialmetti, Teenager in Slenderman Stabbing is Ordered Release from Mental Hospital, New York Times by Ozzy Habera. Slenderman Case, Anissa Wire to be Released, WBAY News Staff. Slenderman Stabbing Victim Speaks Publicly for First Time. Without the whole situation, I wouldn't be who I am. ABCnews.go by Kelly Robinson. And Timeline, How the Waukesha Slenderman Stabbing Case Played Out Over the Years, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel by Christopher Kuhagen. Crossing the Line is a production of iHeartRadio. It's executive produced by me, M. William Phelps, and iHeart executive producer, Catherine Law. Special thanks to producer Rose Bacci and EP Christina Everett. Audio engineering, original music, and sound design by Matt Russell. Additional thanks to Will Pearson at iHeartRadio. The series theme, number 444, is written and performed by Thomas Phelps and Tom Mooney. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.